Uh, now, even though I heard that the pastor's on vacation and he isn't thinking about us, I got a text from him this morning that says, he's praying for me. So, uh, uh, thank you very much, because I need it. Anyway, um, last week was Easter. There were 158 people here. It was full all the way up to the front row. And I'm not offended because it's not today. Uh, so that's, that's good. But it's been several weeks since we've looked in the book of Colossians. And the pastor's been the one that's been bringing us messages on Colossians. And so I'm kind of subbing in here because he's on vacation having a great time in Hawaii. I've seen lots of smiles on Facebook from everybody in that family. They are having a great time there in Hawaii. And we want to have a good time here this morning. So remember that the pastor started in Colossians back month, maybe a month or so ago now. And the, the title, the, the theme of what he's been teaching us has been by him and for him. Now that's not Pastor Aaron, that's Jesus. Right? Christ. He's the one by and for him. And the pastor taught why Paul wrote this book. And one of those things was that there was heresy entering the church in Colossae, this city in today, modern-day Turkey, uh, that they were thinking that Christ plus their own works were better than what Christ did. That, that's heresy. That's wrong teaching and thinking. And, and that's one of the reasons that this book was written. Uh, then the pastor talked also, kind of, I'm, I'm trying to summarize and review a little bit. Uh, he talked about the sin-shame cycle. He talks about that a lot. And, and uh, that's typical and needed because that's where we tend to go all by ourselves. We tend to do the wrong thing. We feel shame and embarrassment because we've done the wrong thing. And then instead of turning to Jesus and doing the right thing, we go back to that same sin and repeat that cycle. And, and he says there's a better cycle that he talked about. Uh, this, he called it the understanding growth cycle. And that's where we hopefully can go and be and do. Um, we spend time in the Word, in the Bible, God's Word, and we begin to understand it. And that allows us to grow in our relationship with Christ and be a better Christian and avoid the sin-shame cycle because we're in the understanding growth cycle. So those are kind of the things that I, I wanted to review with us this morning that the pastor has, has taught us. And then he asked me to go on in Colossians. And so where we are today 
is Colossians chapter 1, starting at verse 24, and we're going to read through chapter 2 and verse 5. So let me start by doing that. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church, in filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Of this church, I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit, that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. That is the mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations, but has now been manifested to his saints, to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And we proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom, that we may present every man complete in Christ. And for this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power, with mighty works, work, excuse me, which mightily works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf, and for those who are at Laodicea, and for all those who have not personally seen my face, that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love, and attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is, Christ himself, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with persuasive argument. For even though I am absent in body, nevertheless I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good discipline and the stability of your faith in Christ. Let's go back to verse 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church, in filling up that which is lacking in Christ's afflictions. What in the world is Paul talking about? D didn't we just say that Christ plus anything is heresy? That's what the pastor's been teaching us. But Paul says, here I am, and uh, I'm going to do some more because there's something lacking in Christ's afflictions. Do you see his tongue in his cheek? He's being sarcastic. There's nothing more that he can do. Look back at verse 16. It says, For in him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. That's this idea. Everything is by him and for him. 
there's nothing more that Paul can do to improve on what Christ did. So I think he's being very sarcastic in this, and, and I think we should recognize that here. He goes on, uh, talking then about this church. Of this church I was made a minister according to the stewardship of God bestowed on me uh, for your benefit. So he is again talking about this idea of uh, the church, those who are believers. Uh, Paul is made a, a minister. And uh, so because of that, he, this idea of a minister, I wanted to talk a little bit about that. It's the word we might, we talk about deacons in the church. A deacon is somebody who does service. They, they uh, serve in the church. Um, and that's basically what this word minister means. It's uh, uh, actually uh, diakonos, I think is how you say it. Uh, it's one who executes the commands of another especially of a master. The idea is being a servant or an attendant, helping out, getting things done. That's what a deacon is. That's what Paul says he is to the church. And he goes on and he says uh, this idea of according to the stewardship in the King James, it uses the word um, dispensation. And if you read our church constitution, it says that this church is a dispensational church. That, that means that what we believe is that God at different times spoke and had different uh, ways of dealing with people. If you look at Adam and Eve, uh, he basically told them one thing, don't eat of that tree. Uh, they didn't accomplish that. Uh, then they got kicked out of the garden because of that, right? And, and uh, throughout history then, God continues to sort of change the way he related to people. At one point, he picked Abraham and said, leave Ur of Chaldees and go to the land that I will show you. He picked the Jewish nation and and designated them as his chosen people. He made an agreement with them. said, I'm going to make out of Abraham lots of families. Here's a guy, almost 100 years old, has no kids, and he's going to make him a great nation. Well, that's a little strange to us. We know that people that are almost 100 years old don't have very many kids. Um, God did that in a special way. That's a different dispensation. When Christ came, he established a new covenant, a, a new way of dealing with people. And that's what we would call the church age. That's the dispensation that we're living in today. Anyway, Paul says he is this idea of a stewardship. He has this uh, new dispensation. It came from God. It was bestowed on him for the benefit of the church, for the, the, the good stuff going on in the church. Uh, that I might fully carry out the preaching of the Word of God. That's the kind of the dispensation that we're in now, is that we're trying to, the Word of God has been completed. The Old Testament was done 
There was 400 years of silence, and then Christ came, and God started speaking again, and he let different authors write what we would refer to as the New Testament. It's a new instructions, and now that's what the church is doing, is they are spreading that new word, that new, those new instructions that deal from this new dispensation. All right, verse 26. That is the mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations that has now been manifested to his saints. What's a mystery? Anybody read Sherlock Holmes? Is that, is that what we're talking about? A, a, a whodunit mystery? Well, we know that God did it all, and that's not the kind of mystery we're really talking about. This is something, a, a biblical mystery, I'll say, is something that has been hidden. It was a secret. It wasn't understood. But now, it's been explained. It's been made clear. It's no longer a mystery. It's no longer something we don't understand. When you think about it, um, the Jews, as we've been learning, were expecting a Messiah that would be a political ruler that would throw off the Roman uh, conquerors of the nation of Israel and allow Israel to have its own government and rule themselves again. That's what they were expecting. And we can read in the Old Testament that that's going to happen. We happen to believe it's going to happen in the future. Uh, But what was happening during the time when Christ was here was the portion of the Old Testament that the Jews didn't recognize well that Christ was coming to be the Lamb to be sacrificed on behalf of all human beings to take care of our sin problem. That's what the pastor talks about regularly. Uh, This idea of saints. That's the last word in verse 26. Who are the saints? You know, oftentimes the Catholic Church has done a pretty good job of uh, helping us understand, I mean, uh, what they think saints are, people that did certain things that were uh, uh, maybe somehow better, did more works, uh, they get to be saints, right? They're, the Catholic Church declares, you know, St. Thomas and, oh, St. Patrick, we had that last month. Uh, all those saints, is that what the Bible talks about? Everybody shake their head No. No, no. Everybody who believes in Jesus, the Bible says, is a saint. It's the true believers, those who trusted Christ as their personal Savior, who recognized that they had a sin problem, that they couldn't deal with themselves, and they needed a Savior. That's what being a saint is all about. That's why we gather, because we're saints, hopefully, you've trusted Christ as your personal Savior. You recognize that you can't, Save yourself. There's nothing you can do to make up for the things you've screwed up in your life. Because God says to get to heaven, I'm a perfect God, and therefore only perfect people can come to heaven. And in case you didn't know it, none of us are perfect. Uh, We've all screwed up. We've all made mistakes. We've all done the wrong thing. And therefore, we need 
a savior. And that's what Jesus is. That's who Jesus is. He's our savior. And when we trust him, we get his perfection. He came to this earth, lived a perfect life, never made a mistake, never did the wrong thing, never displeased God. And because of his perfect life, he can be our substitute. And he made us then, when we trust in him, he made us perfect. I'm not perfect. I don't live a perfect life. I continue to screw up and make mistakes. I get mad at people who cut me off in traffic. That's somewhat human, but, but God can change me and is working slowly to accomplish a, a better response when those things happen. But the idea is God wants us to trust him and he makes us, he declares us then perfect so we can get to heaven and be called a saint. Back to verse 27. To whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of the mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Anybody know what a Gentile is? Um, uh, the Jews were very prejudiced. Remember, they were God's chosen people. And that makes them special, right? That's how they thought. They thought God chose us. We must be the best people on this earth. We're representing God. Were they any better than anybody else? Again, shake your head this way. No, they weren't better than anybody else. They were the same old human beings that had sin problems that didn't do what was right in God's eyes. But the Gentiles were all those who were unbelievers, the, the outside of the Jewish nation. And the Jews had been looking down their noses on them all this time. And as the church is forming after Christ has gone back to heaven, there was some confusion and some conflicts between the Jewish people and the Gentile people that had trusted the Lord, that were saints, that were part of the church. And so Paul here is starting to, to talk about um, this mystery that God was going to treat everybody the same. That whether you were a Jew or a Gentile didn't matter as long as you trusted Christ and became a saint. You would all be the same in God's eyes because he looked at us and saw his son who is perfect and we've become those who then could come to Christ and spend eternity in heaven with God. Uh, so that is the idea of this mystery that in the Old Testament wasn't clear. The Jews didn't understand that they were supposed to be friends with the Gentiles, that God wanted them to uh, show the Gentiles how to have a better relationship with the living God. And uh, the same thing for us today. 
Most of us are probably Gentiles, not of the Jewish tribe, tribes. Um, and so that is this idea of, of coming together then of the Jews and the Gentiles. And Paul here says uh, this mystery among the Gentiles, uh, which is what? Christ in you, the hope of glory. What do you think of when you think of hope? Well, uh, uh, sometimes we, we get the, the wrong idea that it's wishful thinking. That's, that's really not the idea. This is, uh, Hebrews describes the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not seen. See, we can't see God. We don't, we don't see Him. We don't physically see Him. Uh, some people hear His voice sometimes as they're reading the Word. Uh, I, I haven't had that experience myself, but, but uh, this is His Word, and He is speaking to us, and that's why we encourage people to read it on a regular basis and to study it and to get to know it. Uh, but here we see this idea that it, it brings us hope for glory. Glory is, is what we are to accomplish for God. Right? God should get the glory. Everything that we do ought to be to get God the glory. Oftentimes we get confused and, and we like to get the glory. Uh, and that isn't what God does and wants a, for himself. And, and so we usually trip and fall and embarrass ourselves when those things are happening. Uh, but this idea of, of glory is the glory of God. God wants to be exalted. He is exalted, and he wants us to help others to learn who God is. Well, at verse 28, he goes on. And we proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom, that we may present every man complete in Christ. Paul says, we're proclaiming him. We're proclaiming Jesus. We're admonishing or instructing, warning, exhorting every man and teaching every man with all wisdom that we may present every man complete in Christ. Well, This idea of wisdom um, is, um, what, what should we say? It, it's not just knowing the facts of the Bible. It's Wisdom is being able to take those facts and apply them in your life. So he's saying that the, the teaching, the warning, the admonishing uh, is designed to help us understand the Bible and to then apply it in our lives in a way that brings God honor and glory. That every man, uh, and, and that word man, just, just to be clear, that man is anthropos, it's human beings. It, it doesn't disclude you ladies. Um, it's all of us together is what he wants us to do, that we might be complete or perfect. Um, 
the idea there is to, to bring it to its end, to be finished, uh, wanting nothing necessary to completeness, uh, that which is perfect. So the, the idea is that's our goal. Are we going to get there in this life? I don't believe so. We're going to get there when God finally gets rid of our sin nature and we are removed from this earth. But until that time, our goal should be to becoming better more each day. Is it something that Christ plus? No. It's what Christ does in us and through us. It's him accomplishing good things through what we do and how we live in our lives. It goes on in verse 29. And for this purpose I also labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. So Paul says he is laboring toward perfection. Striving. This idea of, the idea is to, to enter a contest. It, it, the, the, the Greek word dealt with uh, to contend in the gymnastics games. Uh, have you watched gymnastics? That's hard work. Those people practice day in and day out to do that well. And, and the idea is they are striving. And that's what he says the Christian life is for us. We, Paul here says, I am striving according to the power that God gives me. This idea of uh, work or power, uh, the word here says, which mightily works within me. That, that word mightily is the word dunamis, uh, which in English is dynamite. Um, that's the power that God instills within us. It's dynamite in our veins, running around, accomplishing stuff. That's what Paul is talking about here. He is laboring with this power, this dynamite that God has given him. Well, chapter 2 and verse 1. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf and for those who are at Laodicea and for those who have not personally seen my face. Now, Colossae and Laodicea are probably five to ten miles apart, so they're pretty close together. Um, but they had separate churches. And so Paul has never been to Colossae. He's never been to Laodicea. He's in prison somewhere. And um, he's has this struggle for these churches that have not personally seen his face. What does he want accomplished? In verse 2 he says, That their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love, and attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding 
resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is, Christ himself. So, that their hearts may be encouraged. Uh, again, the idea is um, to, to, to be encouraged, to, to be um, comforted. The, the word is uh, parakaleo. We would think of it, the, the Holy Spirit is called the paraclete, the one that comes alongside of us and, and helps us to, to walk and live with the Lord. And, and the, this word is, is uh, related to that. that we may be encouraged, that, that we can have God alongside of us. We can have others. That's why Paul encourages us to, to have a mentor, to be a mentor, to have those that come alongside, to walk together, to encourage and be challenged uh, by one another. And he goes on. That, that they're knit together uh, to cause to coalesce is kind of what that might mean. Uh, and uh, again, be knit together in love. That's agape, the word that we know is, is God's love that, that is more than just uh, a human brotherly love or a kindness to others. Uh, this is the, the love that's totally self-sacrificing, just like Jesus. He came and did the Father's will, and that's the kind of love that we're encouraged uh, to have and to exhibit. Attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance and understanding resulting in the true knowledge of God's mystery, that is, Christ himself. That's the whole purpose of all this, is so that we come to a better understanding of who Christ is. And then he goes on in verse 3 to describe, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In Christ, that's where wisdom and knowledge comes from. That's what he's telling us. At verse 4 he says, I say this in order that no one may be deluded with a persuasive argument. Um, very interesting words there. Uh, to be deluded um, or beguile, it uses in the King James. Uh, the idea is to reckon wrong, to, to miscount, uh, or to cheat by false reckoning. You know, they talk about accountants, you know, and you, you can lie by accounting. Move the figures to just include this or that. That's kind of this idea that, that they're talking about here. Don't be deluded. Don't be miscounted uh, by persuasive arguments, uh, by enticing words, uh, speech that's adapt, adapted to persuade, uh, a discourse which is probable arguments. Now, oh, that doesn't make any sense. What did I write that down? Anyway, 
the, the idea is, though, that, that there are people and places where you can hear the wrong things that are trying to distract you from the truth and the wisdom of Christ. And he's warning us to avoid that. Don't be deluded by those things. Then at verse 5, For even though I am absent in body, nevertheless I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good discipline and the stability of your faith in Christ. And so that's where he gets to for today. Paul says, hey, I am really glad to hear from Epaphras that, that you are doing well in your Christian life that you are rejoicing or that you are in good discipline and you are stable, uh, that, that you are arrayed well, you're walking rightly, and that you have this stability, this steadfastness, um, that which has been made firm. You are firm in the Lord. He's encouraging this church it's great to see how you are progressing, that you are walking with God and learning from the wisdom and knowledge of Christ. Let me pray. Lord, we do thank you for today. Thanks for your word. We ask that you'd use it to encourage our hearts. Help us to walk with you well this coming week. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.